You're listening to episode 154 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden, and today I'm being joined by my good friend Misty Persifield and her friend Stephanie Coker, and we're having a girls' chat about shame, perfectionism, and a new term to me, smiling depression. We've got this concept that's new in our literature called smiling depression, mm. and we have a whole name for it now. That there are people that don't sort of fit our traditional checklist as mental health professionals that tell us they need help. In fact, they, they do so well at functioning that, that we miss screening for them. If you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself, well, I've always looked at that verse and said, oh yes, I need to put myself second and love my neighbor. Well, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, I don't think you want to be my neighbor. <laughs> you know, it, it really starts yeah. with yeah. understanding who you are in Christ, that you are worthy, that He has done it all. And what does that really mean? It means, it means that I don't have to lose that ten pounds. I don't have to have the perfect dinner on the table when my hubby comes home. I don't have to get it completely right with my kiddos. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I bump into people who seem like they have it all together, I compare my worst parts of myself to them and I feel insecure. Maybe I have an interaction with another mom or friend and it doesn't go so well and I just assume it's my problem. I don't recognize that my brokenness and her brokenness are crashing into each other. Maybe we don't even realize that that person you're interacting with who seems like they have it all together may be really struggling on the inside that her inner monologue is playing a shame tape over and over again and she could be really struggling with depression. My hope in this conversation is to open our eyes to the unworthy thoughts we are having, the shame we are feeling that all of us, as we hear in this episode, have a little bit of, to also help that woman who is struggling with perfectionism, that trying in and have to, those are words she uses every day, that she could be set free by partnering with the Holy Spirit, that whether it's community or a counselor or time with Jesus, that she would be healed and that God would remove all of those weights and those burdens and set her free, that she would find true rest in him. And not another checklist of I'm going to get better with God and I'm going to I'm going to know I'm loved and it's another thing to do, but to just rest in that love and to be made aware of ways she could do that through our conversation today. But before we get to all that goodness, let's give a shout out to this month's partner, Jelly Telly. Did you know that kids today are consuming more media than ever before, on average more than five hours a day? But what are our kids watching? I know that we have some other streaming apps and Just today, I opened it up, and one of the options for my kids to watch was a show called The Day My Butt Went Psycho. And I was like, seriously, I cannot let them just pick and choose using this app. But with Jelly Telly app, I can. There's over 300 hours of kids' Christian videos and movies, and my kids love all the classics, the Veggie Tales and the What's in the Bible and Allegories. I also wanted to tell you some that you may not know about. They love this kind of mystery show for elementary kids called... The Finders Warehouse 110, and they also love the Torchlighter videos. They highlight different men and women, uh, missionaries and of faith that have done amazing things and their stories. They also have loved watching these little five-minute sport clinics. They have a Devo and tips on how to do different sports 
things, uh, so many options. Don't forget about all the Family Devo options, the Jesus Storybook Bible videos, and uh, just read and share Bible, different little videos y'all could watch as part of a family devotional time. If you're interested in checking out the Jelly Telly app, go to godcentermom.com backslash jellytelly or go straight to jellytelly.com. Don't forget to use the coupon code, all caps, GODCENTERED, just for you God Center Mom listeners, and you get your first month of Jelly Telly free. All right, let's get to my conversation with Misty and Stephanie. Here we go. Hey, Misty and Stephanie, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Thank it's going to be fun. Heather. It's going to be fun and hard. Right? Great sure. to be here. We're, yeah. we're like reluctantly glad to all be having this conversation. It's like a good workout. It's a good workout. Really good work. That's a good analogy. Yes. So Misty and Stephanie are both here and our topic of today, I think we're going to get into it. I just think we'll get into it. Yeah. I want you all to introduce yourselves. Um, Misty, why don't you start off? Sure. I'm Misty um, and um, I'm sitting here with some dear friends. So excited to share with you guys. Um, I have a great um, hubby and three great kiddos and uh, they keep me very busy and I'm a doer so I got a lot a lot of things that I do on the side too. So that's you. All right Stephanie tell us about yourself. Thank you. I want to definitely say thank you to you Heather for having us for having this platform listen to some of your podcasts they just blow me away so thank you and thank you to my dear friend Misty. I feel like I'm just here to spend time with her and we also happen to be recording it so that's awesome for yes. me <laughs> and just, you get to listen love, in right now yeah, which I is know, great I love it so I love my friend um so I'm a licensed clinical social worker um as far as like job title and what I do working a lot with people with depression anxiety disorders or addiction but particularly uh helping people with shame perfectionism um Things that really get in the way of them experiencing a full, free life for themselves. And I do a lot of Christian counseling with that. And I have a 14-year-old son, Bryson, and 12-year-old daughter, Lauren. And they're amazing and energetic. And everything left is (laughs) there as far as time and energy and, and all of that. So taking them to the places and doing all the things. You guys know what it's like with the those ages. So... Well, we are thankful to have you here with your expertise and, like you said, talking about the topic of shame and perfectionism Mm -hmm. and when we don't talk about it, when we keep it secret and our Mm -hmm. struggles, how it can destroy us Mm -hmm. from the inside and then affect our families and ripple effects to our friends and those around us. And so Misty was super brave and offered her story to share uh, with you listening. So, uh, Misty, I don't know if you want to get started on what got you going on this topic? Like what was the mile marker that said enough is enough? Okay. Well, um, I could say that I am a recovering perfectionist, um, and clinically been diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And I would say that the Lord brought me to just a place of I can no longer pull myself together. I can no longer uh, do this. When our family was on vacation this summer, we were in one of our very favorite places in the world, in Colorado, in the mountains. And it's just beautiful in every way. And I feel so close to the Lord when I'm in Colorado Mm -hmm. because I take these amazing hikes and I get to listen to either his word, his, you know, a podcast or uh, praise music. And 
I was not able to get out of bed. Um, I was crying. I could not find any joy. And, um, I had a very outward appearance of what you would think a typical depressed person is like. My sweet husband was like, I think it's time to pack up and go home, which of course just sent me in a tailspin. No, we can't leave. Mm. This is our favorite Mm. place. Mm. But that's, you know, that's what depression is. It looks like what people expect, but truly I've been living with this for 20-ish years. And um, what people don't expect is that the internal dialogue did not match the external. When people write me notes or interact with me, people will say, oh, you're just, you're so fabulous. You're so put together. How do you do it all? Oh my goodness. You always look so fabulous and put together Mm -hmm. or oh, your kids are doing this and that, super mom, Mm -hmm. uh, I can't believe you work Mm part-time and do this too, are you sure? And, and, um, you know, those are, obviously, those are observations that people make, but it doesn't match up to the dialogue that happens on the inside. The dialogue on the inside is, I'm never enough, I can't keep up, um, I'm not worthy. I'm all alone. If if only people would know what was going on, that um, I have to pull myself together and look presentable because I have to kind of cover up for just the yucky that I feel on the inside. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to say that I don't have joyful moments or I'm not able to enjoy my children or my husband or, you know, Beaver Creek. (laughs) I love life, but... There has been a real burden of um, unworthiness that I have lived under. All alongside being a Bible study leader, being a discipler to other women, uh, reading my Bible daily, listening to wonderful, rich, uh, life-changing uh, truth. And that's all well and good, but the, the the story that I truly in my core believed was completely different than um, the truth that I knew from a biblical perspective even. And I think that what I hear and what you're saying is the disconnect between what you look like to those around you and how you keep your life together and how you keep up with everything, not just keep up, but do it exceptionally well and the inner monologue that you were telling yourself and how we as women will, I will then compare mm-hmm. my inner monologue with your external and say, I'm falling short because look how Misty's mm-hmm. able to keep it all together. Not recognizing. So then I'm shaming myself, not recognizing you're feeling the same. And this, this cycle happens. So Stephanie, mm-hmm. talk to us about what Misty just said and, yeah. and your experiences with women. And Absolutely. So I have sort of like three parts of me mm-hmm. that respond to that. One is as Misty's dear friend, I just go, Oh, the sadness of yeah. like what that's like to have a certain presentation and all the effort that goes into that on the outside, but to really be hurting inside. So as her friend, I go, Oh, you know, that's really sad for me. Mm-hmm. Then there's part of me that's, um, recovering from perfectionism myself. So that part of me goes, oh my gosh, I know exactly what you mean. And I hear that and I'm like, yes, I know exactly what that feels like. That working so hard, not only to sort of like meet goals and 
do a good job, I'm thinking the little air quotes, that we would all aspire to. But there's this, I love how you said that burden of unworthiness underneath it, Mm -hmm. that it's not, even when I get the straight A or the good job or the promotion, like it's still not enough and how that leaves me feeling. I know what that's like. I really Mm do. And the depression that goes with it. So then as the professional part of me that's done a lot of study and research and training to try to, to help people in this, you know, myself as well, (laughs) like, like, how do we get out of this and studying with um, Brene Brown and her work and, and all that, training, I I hear what you're saying. And I look at this concept that's new in our literature called smiling depression. Mm. Like we have a whole name for it now that there are people that don't sort of fit our traditional checklist as mental health professionals that tell us they need help. In fact, they, they do so well at functioning that, that we miss screening for them. But this form of depression, this smiling depression where everything outwardly seems well, but inwardly is not, is a re- is a really significant problem because people are missing being screened for that by a primary care physician or a pastor or even a counselor they may go to. So they're not getting the help they need. So then it gets worse because depression is chronic and it will get worse if you don't treat it. Right. So it's, it's really very problematic. And I, you know, there was a season I saw a counselor and I said, I just didn't feel like myself mm-hmm. and I put it on. I, I wish I'd had that term smiling depression. Mm-hmm. I just assumed it's because I'm an extrovert and an, and a depressed version of an extrovert is a functional person, right? Like <laughs> I'm willing to shove that down because I enjoy people enough, but maybe I'm not like in my bed, not able to get out of it. I'm just not who I typically am. So uh, this smiling depression, that's a very new term to me. Uh, is it becoming like an actual like diagnosis that y'all are using? And I think there'll be time before it becomes something put into like a DSM-5, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. official, official yeah. diagnosis. But functionally in clinical experience, yeah, a lot of more therapists are writing about this and looking at it. Um, in recent years, there was a rash of suicides in Silicon Valley, for example, and people were like, oh my gosh, these young people, these adolescents, they, they have everything. They're really smart. They're straight A students. What is going on? Mm-hmm. There's there, um, these rashes of suicides at Ivy League schools, for example. So we're like, what, what is happening there? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel so strongly about this topic. I have on my Pinterest page, I actually have a whole board on articles and research on this perfectionism and depression or smiling depression or high functioning depression. It's sometimes called, but that perfectionism where the person has this fear, right? The fear of not doing well. It's different than just striving to do well, right? That fear becomes incapacitating. And because it's so caught up in not only how do I see myself, but how do you see me, mm. it, it becomes very fixed. And what we find is the research, the little research that has been done. And again, articles on my Pinterest page about that. If you want to look at the sources. I can put a, I yeah, put a link on the link there. So yeah. I just, I yeah. want people to know, like, I'm not just, like, yeah. I really believe in getting facts. Um, but people that have what we would identify as perfectionism, 
actually have higher rates of suicide completion. They're more likely to have well thought out plans and more likely to follow through with them. And, you know, they think through like, oh, I don't want to give tip it away to people. So it's actually a really dangerous thing in terms of mental health. And, you know, it's astounding to think, you know, someone you love. And I think, again, that part of me that's Misty's friend goes, oh, my gosh, you know, and I, I had no idea. When right. you when you feel that way, it's it's really um, it's hard for the person experiencing it then to get help because other they are so good at keeping other people from seeing what's really happening. So, Misty, going back to your time in Colorado, and that was the mile marker where you said enough is enough. It, it didn't just stay on the inside. It came out on the outside, and your husband's noticing and saying, "Well, and this is impacting. Yes, and I'll life. be, to be honest, it's come out okay. um, on the outside in different ways. Okay. So, for as a perfectionist, so in my core belief, because of many, many things, but ultimately I swallowed a lie from Satan, which is you are not worthy. You are not good enough. So I put on the marching orders of, okay, well, if you're not good enough, then you need to work harder so that you can reach being good enough. Well, even as good enough to be loved. Yes. Or even love myself. Right. Okay. I mean, because there's a core, if you can't, if you're to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, I've always looked at that verse and said, oh yes, I need to put myself second and love my neighbor. Well, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, I don't think you want to be my neighbor. (laughs) You know, it it really starts with understanding who you are in Christ, that you are worthy, that he has Mm -hmm. done it all. And what does that really mean? It means it means that I don't have to lose that 10 pounds. I don't have to have the perfect dinner on the table when my hubby comes home. I don't have to get it completely right with my kiddos. I don't have to be reading the latest and greatest book that um, the Christian artist has published. I don't have to be the leader at BSF. I don't have to. And these are a lot of have tos, have to, have to. Because who wants to live their life with a have to? We want to live our life with I want to. I'm so loved that I want to get up today and love on my kids. I want to get up today and study my Bible. I want to get up today and do whatever whatever it is that God has before me. But I feel like I have lived much of my life with I have to. I have to do more. I have to run harder, literally <laughs> run harder. Um, work harder, um, and and you know, truly putting myself in environments with other high achievers, it only intensified yeah. as um, you know. I went to high, from high school where it was already formed, you know, some of these perfectionistic tendencies, and then I go to to a super crazy college, a, 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 smaller, yeah. affluent yeah. university yeah. in the middle of Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um, and I surround myself with, oh my, Ooh, I don't measure up. <laughs> I don't measure up. And then I get into the church mm-hmm. and I didn't, I grew up in a different kind of church background. And um, I don't know that the Lord was first in our house. And I get into the church and instead of saying, oh my gosh, God has put me inside of this great community that's going to change the trajectory of my life, I say, 
oh my gosh, all of these people know so much about the Bible and they grew up in godly homes and what's my story? Oh, I mean, do you see how it just... So then you have to be better at knowing God's So then you have, I mean, I have so much scripture memorized and, you know, I'm getting on a fast track for evangelism (laughs) training and discipling and, um, and the Lord used me. I mean, I'm not saying that I did that all in my flesh. God was in that. But the process is a more striving and Mm -hmm. less joy-filled experience. I have to do this. I have to do this. Mm -hmm. I have to do this. I am not worthy. And I'll never measure up. So what's the next thing I need to do? Maybe that will change. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's almost like if you like you could like put a little worthiness in the bank. I won't be completely worthy, but I could get like a little credit, like a, a medal, worthiness credit, a yeah, gold medal <laughs> yeah, every like trophy, yes. and it's like a little worthiness credit, you know. And of course, this isn't this isn't something I'm aware of. No, this none is of something us are. we all act out of that. This lie. is yeah. something that in the midst of some really hard work over the past six months, that mm-hmm. I'm really coming to understand the awareness. I think right. that's the key part. Mm-hmm. Um, for any gal who is folding her laundry, thinking, oh. You know, gosh, I haven't showered today. I haven't this, I'm this, I'm this. And those can all be true things, but it doesn't mean that you're not loved and beautiful and worthy. You said you've been doing some hard work the last six months. And what I want to get to for the gal listening is if she can identify with mm-hmm. all these feelings we've been saying, mm-hmm. what, what did it take for that smiling depression for mm-hmm. you to say, I need help mm-hmm. and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take action and admit that I, cause I feel like that even in itself mm-hmm. is part of that unworthy uh, lie is, Oh, here I am again. Mm-hmm. Now I need to seek out help for my mm-hmm. depression. I'm mm-hmm. failing again. And it feeds that unworthiness. Mm-hmm. So to, but you need to agree with that in order to get the help to get out of. So right. to get to that place, talk her through like mm-hmm. what made you finally say, this is, I cannot do this myself. Well, uh, you know, as Stephanie mentioned, depression doesn't just go away. It gets worse. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is probably this incident that got me to my breaking point. This is probably my third or fourth occurrence of a depressive episode, if okay. you will. Okay. And so it was bad. I mean, it was just a really bad bout. There was no, many times when I'm, when I find myself, oh gosh, I'm, I'm really in a, in a bad place, I can focus on diet. I can focus on um, a new project to distract me. I can focus on exercise to kind of get that serotonin flowing. Well, this time was different. Mm-hmm. There was no, there was no trick. There was nothing I could do to short circuit it. And I just knew that the thoughts that I was having were not me. They were not from the Lord. They were not God honoring and they were not true. I knew enough to know that they were not true, but I did not, I didn't know how to not have them anymore. And, um, so I really think it was just a place of final of a desperation. I'm going to sit and seek help and allow the Lord to begin to work on my heart and reveal things to me. I also had community around us that was, you know, saying, hey, we are praying for you. We are here for you. And they made it a very safe place to, you know, really be vulnerable with some of the struggles I was having. So I just, the Lord just really put some things in place that 
you know, I could cry and people were around me saying, I'm so glad you're having those tears. Yeah. This is, I would feel upset if that happened too. And so there were just, there was a safe place to where I could say, I can no longer do this. I'm going to go get help. And everybody around there, around me shook their head and said, I'm so glad. And did you know, like, I, I know for me, it was hard to even get that phone number. And then once I got the phone number, it was hard to actually call the person. Did you already have in mind who you would see? Or did someone say, you know, I saw this person and you should go see her? Because even that, I feel like as a community and an opening up a little bit. Well, fortunately, our MOPS group um, had, you know, this is eight years ago. Right, right. Wow. How did that happen? God (laughs) planted a seed and, you know, a Christian counseling um, practice came and visited and they were talking on on postpartum depression. Right. And um, so I just filed that away. You know, they were a great resource, resource and I thought they had a lot of great things to share. And I took a lot of notes and, um, so just filed it away and I did not have anybody in mind. Um, I filled out the inquiry form and just said, check, check, check. That's what I'm dealing. Yep. Yep. That one too. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Low self-esteem. Yep. Yep. That's me. Uh, trouble sleeping. Yep. Irritable. Yep. Um, you know, just, it was kind of eye opening filling out the intake. I was like, Oh man, this is bad. This is really bad. Um, but for me, I, I just, I, you know, I, I think that, and you know, so yeah, that's how I started it. And, and I sort of, as I, as I've gotten more vocal about it, I said, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to see my therapist. People kind of look at me, but I, I mean, I just think it's so refreshing. Oh, every time I say it, someone's like, oh yeah, me too. I mean, I don't think it's as rare and I think that it's a healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you find that maybe a first session, Stephanie, with mm-hmm. someone they're apologizing or mm-hmm. trying to explain away why they got there and you're like, this is good. This is the yeah. right step is seeing a doctor right. is I'm not like, wrong. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And I do think a lot about that from that phone call and even in that first session, how hard it is to ask for help and to just reach out. And particularly with that, when the perfectionism is in place, it's exactly like you said, Heather, there's this sense of like, oh, wow, to admit I need help is going to create in other people's minds this idea that I'm not perfect. I don't get, I'm taking something out of that worthiness account now. Like it's yeah. like I'm like big time. Like I'm compromising <laughs> that. Like I'm admitting way. that what they think about me is true. What I think they think about yeah. me is true. Yeah. Or, or what they, what I think they think about me is not true. Right. Cause I've worked really hard to create a certain to image. Oh no. Right. Ah, oh. so I think one of the most important shifts there for people, I mean, if I could encourage that Sweet mama folding the laundry, like you said, or driving to the next thing that they're picking up their kids from. Um, it would be to not, if, if I could say, Oh, sweet sister, I just want to invite you to not see it as some kind of, um, failure or giving up Mm. or, um, okay, well, now everyone will know this the secret I've been trying to keep that I'm not perfect and rather see it as an opportunity, an opportunity to engage more truth, an opportunity to be cared for, an opportunity to say, you know, 
you, particularly the woman who struggles with perfectionism, I can predict that she's probably really good at serving people and Mm -hmm. reading people and knowing their needs. And you have needs too. And that's just called being human. Mm -hmm. So it is really okay. It's really okay to stop and slow down and take care of your needs. And it's, it's this simple, but it still hits me as profound. Like I think it was in mops one day when I heard someone talk about that analogy of like, you know, when you're on the plane and they talk about the mask and you always put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Mm -hmm. And if, and even sometimes that's what we need, I think, as moms to reach out for help is to realize that that actually helps our children. It helps our families. When we're doing better, they're going to do better. So sometimes that's a really important buy-in that people have to just sort of trust that it it will help them. And I think if I could also tell my sweet sister that... Um, And I love how you guys are talking about, you know, therapy. So friendly, you know, it's like, this is a friendly thing. I find, you know, sometimes people have the objection of feeling like the therapist is going to be there to, because they're still in that perfectionistic mindset. So they feel like the therapist is there rating them and evaluating them on how much they're falling short. And it's the therapist's job to help them bridge the distance and like become more become better at being perfect. Like fix it. (laughs) Yeah. They're using the same mentality that got them in the problem, Mm. right? To Mm. view the solution in their minds. So I would really want to invite them and maybe the people around them that support them to, to say, can you help them think of it differently? Not through that lens of the perfectionism, because that's Mm -hmm. what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Perfection says I have to strive harder Mm -hmm. to do better. So it's not my job to like help you do better. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I'm here to to help you be to actually be free. So she you. comes into your office. Let's mm-hmm. just do that. Mm-hmm. So she comes. Yes. Let's do it right now. Let's yeah, just okay. Do a little therapy. Okay. We're going to put the mic closer, Stephanie. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> it's not so we've finally bought in. Mm-hmm. We've admitted we cannot do this on our own anymore. Mm-hmm. There is a lie I'm believing. Mm-hmm. A shame I am repeating. Mm-hmm of unworthiness, Mm -hmm. she walks in, what are you, what is that going to look like for her? This might help take away that inhibition and and fear. Before we go to that, you know, I want to say that, you know, from what I've read and understand about shame, it is universal. We all have it. Some Mm -hmm. of us are more aware of the shame triggers Mm -hmm. and the things Mm -hmm. that come and and the lies that come from shame. Mm -hmm. And that's what therapy has done for me is to help me become aware where I wasn't before. Now, some people, more potentially healthy people, I think are just, they have the shame. They're just more aware. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. anyway, you come to the office for that first visit and and anybody could need to do that. (laughs) It's like like I say about this 12-step recovery program. I'm like, who doesn't need to do a recovery program? We all do. No, I, yes. I love that you said that because, you know, in Brene Brown's work, she's a shame researcher at the University of Houston, researched shame for over 15 years. And her curious question was, what's the difference between people who get bogged down in it and then suffer from depression, anxiety, addiction, mm-hmm. all the different things that are rooted in holding on to shame? And the people who experience shame and are able to move through it because we all experience it, right? Right. You know, rather than guilt, which is, oh, I feel badly about something I did wrong. Shame has this quality of, I feel badly about who I am as a person. And I'm not able to differentiate that behavior from 
myself as a person. So that key difference that she found in her research was one factor. This blew me away. I was like, oh my God. Okay, I mean, like, it blew really? me away. It wasn't their childhood history or whether they, you know, had a history of divorced parents or married parents or grew up in the church or not. Any none of that predicted mm-hmm. the difference. The predictor was a fundamental belief that they were worthy of love and belonging. That's what enabled people to move through shame. So back to your question in that first session, I'm thinking about my client coming in, wanting to receive him or her warmly, let them know they're welcome. I want to get to know them as a person outside of whatever Mm. the problem is they're dealing with. That's really important for me in the first session because I want to, you know, I presume that most all of us struggle with that core belief that we're worthy of love and belonging. So we either know it intellectually and haven't grasped it at a heart level, or we have it, but we can't seem to hold on to it, or it's a whole new idea to us that we're like, what? Are you serious? Mm -hmm. When we compare that to the gospel, it's sort of saying that what Christ has done for me, that accounts for my worthiness, and I can put my trust in that rather than okay, I know I'm worthy of love and belonging, but I should try to work a little harder at it. You know, <laughs> I should try to work Surely. a little harder to be better, you know? Yeah, yeah. So with that in mind, I'm wanting um, the person that I'm meeting with for the first time, you know, we go over all the, the usual things that you do in counseling in the background and family history and, and some of that. But I really want to bring forward, what is it that you want to see differently? Like, what will it look like? when things are better for you, when you're more free. And I'm just listening for these themes of where, where is that fundamental belief about worthiness for them? How much is it often an incident? Is it Mm -hmm. like a, a tragic event? Mm -hmm. Is it Mm -hmm. a recurring? I mean, what Mm -hmm. do you typically find? You know, it's really a range. Sometimes Mm -hmm. people will have a, yeah, a precipitating event. Something happens that shatters that ability to quote unquote hold it all together, mm-hmm. right? Something just puts them on overload, a diagnosis of a loved one or a child struggling with addiction or um, a marriage that's failing, you know, something they didn't ask for. It's not their fault, but it makes it, it's now impossible to have it all together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that kind of becomes a, yeah, this. I mean, I think those are wonderful invitations that the Lord gives us to really look at what we truly do, mm-hmm. you know, believe and think in our hearts about not only ourselves but Him. So that can happen. Or um, I work with a lot of 17 to, I would say, 24-year-olds, which I love. And they come from sort of, if I had to, you know, they're all very unique, but to categorize like a place of like, I know that I'm, you know, sort of academically and on paper, I do have it all together. And I know that this doesn't quite feel right. You know, they're looking for that purpose and meaning in life, which we yeah. kind of all go through in our 20s. But there's a, it's really heightened in but they're the, more aware the of social it. media generation. Yes. So everything yes. is out, everything good that anyone's doing is out there right in front oh of them. Oh my gosh, the comparison, right? Yeah. It's, and then there's this oh. weight of if I don't have a non for profit by the age of 18, I have yes. wasted a life, right? Kind of thing. And I've never even considered starting a non for profit, but everybody's got one now. And, right. you know, I haven't gone on some international have to, mission. Have to, have to, have to. 
<laughs> but their half twos are beyond my oh half twos at 18. Mm-hmm. Right. I was mm-hmm. clueless. I was maybe, mm-hmm. I have to get into college, but it wasn't mm-hmm. much beyond that. Like maybe I should volunteer at the nursing home. Mm-hmm. Like literally the, the pressures mm-hmm. to be even more impressive mm-hmm. externally. Right. What I've found with young women there, and this is just my personal clinical experience. Mm. I don't have any research on this, but just my observation over the past 20 years of doing this is that it seems more recently that young women kind of get to that point of like, wow, I've reached all the milestones already, like sooner Mm. than my generation did. Mm -hmm. And they are kind of going like, now what? I'm supposed Mm. to keep doing this, this pace Mm -hmm. until... And they're sort of like, I'm really sort of proud of them. They're sort of really bright to say like, I don't think that's going to work. Isn't there something more like, could you help me sort of sort through Mm -hmm. because I've got this success, but I know in my heart, my, what my self-esteem is. Mm. I know how I really see myself. I know that it doesn't feel like it's enough. And I just so feel such, so proud of them, I guess. I have awesome clients, but you know, that they sort of see that they can articulate it. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of another, um, group. How do you get over, how do you get over? Mm -hmm. See, I'm trying to fix it. (laughs) How would someone who comes to you and you know, and what Brene discovered, Mm -hmm. but the, the core belief of I am unworthy Mm -hmm. of love. Mm -hmm. Do you then help them Mm -hmm. grasp that concept? How do you, I feel like that's... Oh, my gosh. That's it, like I mean, it starts question, with right? awareness. <laughs> it starts with awareness, but I'm thinking, like, that feels spiritual. That feels like supernatural work It is that the Holy Spirit has to do. I mean, and that Absolutely. is something that my therapist, she says, Misty, this is not a checklist. Mm-hmm. This is not a do something and get better. This is going to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she builds into that into me consistently mm-hmm. in our in our work that... God will do a work in your heart. You mm-hmm. have to continue to pray and believe mm-hmm. that He will do the work in your heart. Yeah. You can be faithful and obedient, but it's not a, you know, follow these steps. Well, it's like, it's like our, especially if we've professed belief, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. about Christians here mm-hmm. who, Christians who struggle, imagine. Christians mm-hmm. who struggle and admit mm-hmm. that they're struggling. Um we have the Holy Spirit in us. Mm-hmm. And recently I've been doing a lot of work on like spirit, soul, body. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like there's a valve and we're not allowing access mm-hmm. of the Holy right. Spirit into those soul parts of our thoughts and our will and our emotions. We're kind of closing it off. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, s- I don't want you in there. Because what if God knows what I'm thinking? You know, what if he knew I was having these emotions? Oh, like we, th- we, we, lie, we lie to yes. ourselves and think. Mm-hmm. I have got to not even come to God with these thoughts. Or the other side yeah. for me was, this must be a result of my sin. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a yeah. That's a churchy thing that happens. It yeah. and and mm-hmm. and I and I fully take ownership. I mean, that was just Satan. And so I've got journal upon journal where I'm saying, Lord, search my heart, reveal. Mm-hmm. reveal, reveal where I'm not trusting you, reveal mm-hmm. where I'm falling short. And it was really, okay, reveal a fundamental belief, daughter, that you don't believe that I love you Mm -hmm, and that you're worthy because you're mine. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. so simple. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like a doing, because it's not doing language. I've done something wrong, so I'm doing it. But a real practical, yes, but a real practical thing that that Catherine had me do, and it was painful. But she wanted me to become aware that love was all around me and that I was not alone. 
but I never recognized it Mm. because I didn't allow myself. And so for a week, and I was really frustrated with this exercise, (laughs) she wanted me to take note of any time somebody expressed love or a desire to be with me. And it was really a painful exercise because in my mind, I'm showing love to my children by, you know, making sure that they're, you know, on time and fed well and taken care of and that their uniforms are pressed no, my and, stars, I'm not. you know, <laughs> I mean, short well, yeah, I fall short too, but, um, <laughs> anyway, so that was love. That was love. But that, that is not yeah. love. Yeah. I mean, and Catherine really had me, she said, so tell me, what is it like when you spend time with Abigail? That's my youngest. And we spend a lot of time together because she doesn't go to school basically at all. <laughs> um, very little, very little. And I love that. But, and so I started telling her all the things like, oh, we'll do a puzzle or we'll, we'll work on, you know, words and spelling and, oh, we'll go outside. No, no. But what is it like to be with her? Oh, well, I mean, I sit next to her and I do a puzzle and <laughs> then we yeah. do, you know, and she's like, no, no, no. What is that like? Mm-hmm. Just to know that your daughter wants to sit next to you. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And she's like, exactly. Mm-hmm. I want you to start to think mm-hmm. what it's like just to have family movie night. And the fact that it's not the same if you're not there. Mm-hmm. Because when you're struggling with worthiness, it's these moments where it's really, I mean, I could, I could go in the other room and it <laughs> be would be very productive while they're distracted and yeah. it would not matter. Right. And just trying to make that connection of be still and, and know in those moments that you are wanted mm-hmm. and you, and it's not about the doing, it's mm-hmm. about this, the being. Mm-hmm. So in that exercise, were your eyes mm-hmm. opened to receiving love? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was very painful. Like, Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> no, so literally I come back to the session and I open my journal and I say, okay, here are the things that happened this week. And I read it, da, 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 close the journal and put it down. Oh. Very and, matter of fact, very task I'm thinking as a therapist at this moment, I'm thinking, oh, game on. <laughs> so she starts to chuckle at me a little bit. It says, okay, I like how you just completely took your feelings out of that. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. how you just, mm-hmm. you know, completely was, made that a task, yeah, task and open it back up. Mm-hmm. And so for it, I mean, what seemed like five hours, mm-hmm. but it was 45 minutes, um, we went through, we probably only got through three wow. of the items where she mm-hmm. really forced me to become aware of what it, to, mm-hmm. to connect my feelings. It sounds so. No, I can, I know, I've known you for a very long time. I mm-hmm. can imagine that that absorbing like a sponge, the arrows of love that are coming at you that before was a shield mm-hmm. that was saying, yes, I don't know. And I don't even know. I'm not a therapist. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is that makes us not absorb that love. Right. Well, that's sort of part of the sinister nature of mm. this perfectionism mechanism because we mm. keep the shield up until mm. we decide that we think that you think we're worthy enough to put it down, and then we'll let a little love in. But do you see all the mental exercise? Yeah, it just seems like opposite. Like the the shame is telling me I'm not worthy of love. Mm-hmm. People are pouring love at me, mm-hmm. and yet I don't let it in. Right. 
Because I don't to, believe it. Because I'm not trust. Is it because I'm not mm-hmm. trusting? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the here's person. a ver- here's a very practical example of a lie. Okay. <laughs> so you get invited to a birthday party for a friend, and it's not a big like a grown like a grown yes, yes. Party, so one yeah. of your girlfriends is having a, a small dinner, twelve people, and says, and you're on the list, and your response isn't, oh, I'm so excited to celebrate her. She's such a dear. Your response is. Oh, I love her so much. I'm sure she only invited me because she didn't want my feelings to get hurt because mm. so-and-so's on the list and I would find out. Mm. I mean, I'm serious. Right, this right, right. is truly no. the way I look at, look, at not anymore, right, right. but any situation. Well, and it might so. come up in your mind, but now you're aware mm-hmm. to shut it down. Yes. Because I, I think that's good for the person listening to say it's not like we're, like you said, mm-hmm. fixed one and done. We go to one no. therapy session. It's it's this reprogramming. You and I talk about that. This rewiring yes. of these thoughts that come automatically. Right. That are not conscious. They're because, subconscious yeah. dialogues yes. we and, have. And yeah. God, in his goodness, made our brains to renew. renew. Yeah, yeah. In his great goodness. Just mm-hmm. like, you know, you get a nick on your skin. I mean, just where you can have a negative thought pattern, you can change your what you're fixing your mind on and decide, no, I'm no longer going to think this way. Mm -hmm. So when that trigger comes up and I get the, you know, the invite and I have that feeling, that lie, I say, is this true? Is this Mm -hmm. helpful? I don't know that, I don't think that this is true. Why would she do that? Because she would have invited four other people if Mm -hmm. it were only, is this, is this a helpful Mm -hmm. thought? No, this isn't a helpful thought at all. (laughs) Then why am I having this thought? Mm -hmm. This, this thought is not, this thought is not helpful. Mm -hmm. This is not for me. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful right there. Even just getting to the point where we can begin to see that our thoughts are optional, right? Versus like believing them, Mm -hmm. buying into them, running with them Mm -hmm. that happen in the moment. But that, how do you get, how do you make that shift? to really believing that you're worthy of love and belonging. Like, what does that look like in therapy to that question? I love some of those exercises. This sound amazing. And for me as a therapist, you know, you kind of hinted at that, Heather, it does, it's, there's a sacred nature to it. Um, not all of the clients I see do Christian counseling with mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just the model God's called me to. Even if they're not believers, I I still would like for them to consider this shift of their worthiness um, because it's so fundamental. But particularly when I'm working with believers, I sort of see it like it's not so much on me to prove to them or make them see it or get them to see it. I really take a stance which I I think I really sort of learned this from my therapist of like helping them notice that God's already trying to say this to them. Mm -hmm. He's pursuing them. Right. So like Mm -hmm. looking at things and like, like, Oh, you won't believe what happened this week, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, wow, I wonder how that's an opportunity for you to wrestle with, you know, whatever, you know, this broad umbrella of the lie of unworthiness, but then, you know, I'm helping people identify their specific flavor, you know, how that, you know, is for it's them getting, specifically, yeah, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how that is an invitation for you to wrestle with that. I wonder, I wonder how God wants to enter that with you. I wonder, 
how God feels about that or how God feels about you in that. And those questions are sort of my attempt to kind of partner, like you said, with the spirit, with him to, Mm-hmm. That he he's mm-hmm. the one that has to help them see it at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and then maybe yeah. when that happens again, they have your question in their mm-hmm. head of mm-hmm. how is okay. Wait a second, mm-hmm. yeah. Stop, and like I'm, you said, awareness. Yeah, yeah. stopping. And I'm really, really lucky. I think with uh, Brene Brown's work, she has developed a curriculum, mm-hmm. like a whole curriculum and activities, and there's artwork and there's things that I do with clients in session, and hope to start a group soon because I think it'll be really powerful. But that also helps give me kind of a path to sort of conceptually say these are some concepts we need to make sure and tackle that help us dismantle that mm-hmm. um, negative thought process. Mm-hmm. So that's helpful too. It's not just, you know, kind of shooting in the dark as a therapist. I like having a little mm-hmm. bit of a plan. The perfectionist in me loves having a plan, <laughs> but it's more of a roadmap than a checklist. So, yeah. So One thing, that. another exercise that I did, um, on the love piece and, and partnering with the spirit. I, mm-hmm. I love how you said that too. Mm-hmm. Um, was just sitting and throughout the day recognizing ways that God was pleased with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet that was tough. tough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> if y'all no, could but, see, if y'all could see. It, I mean, that is, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I am I'm in my prayer, mm-hmm. it's a lot of confession. And mm-hmm. I think the Lord loves that because mm-hmm. he is drawing us closer. and He wants us to see the way that we have fallen short. And that's him, you know, but he's pleased. He's mm-hmm. pleased. He loves he, us. He sees you, sees mm-hmm. Jesus. And, and that's his son that he loved. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't even, the confession is so you don't create the distance in the relationship, but it doesn't change his love for no. you. It's not that those things shifted oh now she's confessed now i love her more it yeah. is literally like he mm-hmm. just sees you as perfect and without blemish mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. all but, the time but to know that but to then know it to feel if we're talking about renewing our minds and going mm-hmm. from a place of unworthiness yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, starting at the mm-hmm. spiritual level, yeah, focusing on a way that, that God is pleased with you, mm-hmm. that's not, beautiful. not from, from your actions, yeah. but just from your heart and yeah. your, you know, because you exist because you're yeah. here, you're breathing. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, Dan Allender's work that I use as well, because often we have something you said there made me think about that we can have like a childhood trauma or an experience with an early important person in our life that we sort of collect some kind of message of shame mm-hmm. about who we are, about how we define ourselves, or the the particular flavor of our unworthiness, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, um, the deeper work, even stepping in with people into those earlier messages of shame that they've bought into because of something traumatic that happened for them and, and being able to open up those stories for them. I find that's a really important piece to, you know, making that shift become something that's not just, Oh, okay. I need to think about that and consider it, but really get to the heart comes more deeply. Um, And that's not easy to deal with. And Mm -hmm. it's not for every client. And that's something, you know, going back to, um, our friend who's folding her laundry and thinking about going to a therapist and they think of like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to talk about my childhood stuff. And that's usually the thing that no. like, I don't want to go. Yeah. So you may, you, you may have to, you may not have to, I don't know, but sometimes it really helps because sometimes there's things that have happened that we 
couldn't control, you know, as a kid and we get some kind of idea about ourselves from it. That's really, really untrue. And, and those things just are so deep. Yeah. Well, I've had experience in the last year. Misty's heard me talk about it forever Mm -hmm. is, you know, inner healing prayer with women and it's Mm -hmm. a supernatural thing and I can't explain it. And I'm not a kooky, kooky, voodoo-y type person, but I will tell you there are literal blocks. I'm like not get allowing God in Mm -hmm. to those places because of events and had have happened to women or, Mm -hmm. and allowing God to go to those places and Jesus to show up and, and for them to see Jesus and be like, oh, does he look disappointed? Does he look mm-hmm. like he thinks of you less because that mm-hmm. happened to you? No. And, and anyway, yeah, I think it's a deep work and I think it's sometimes mm-hmm. a needed work and, mm-hmm. and supernatural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which we want to have like a nice book we could just read in three <laughs> steps and it's not. You know, I love how, I mean, I love how God is creative and he gives us a lot of opportunities. And I would say, you know, not everybody might be at a point where they, they need to pick up the phone and schedule an appointment with somebody, but you, everybody's at the the point where they need a girlfriend in their life that they can say, Oh, my stars, I was feeling like a loser today. Mm-hmm. And just being able to say that, to have someone in your life, maybe it's two, three people if you're lucky enough, mm-hmm. um, just to have just an authenticity in the way you go about your day because that destroys the lie. Yeah. Because then there. you have your 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 trusted girlfriend who says, "Oh, I felt the same way." And, and that I, it was either Shauna Nequist or it was Brene Brown mm-hmm. who said, "And you know who those people are, you know, are when you share a tiny bit over mm-hmm. coffee and and instead of them saying, "Oh, me too," they say, "Oh, this latte is delicious," yes. and they say shallow <laughs> while you're going deep, and you know yes. that's not your person, right? Yes. Or worse person. yet, they're like, "Well, here's what you need to do about it. Oh, here's yes. how you should fix that." Yeah. Here's three scriptures to fix that problem yeah like that really is worse yes (laughs) we all are amazing and i'll put links for your Mm. stuff stephanie and i don't know missy if you want to have people email you but oh if people need to be in touch with somebody to share i would love to do that and um i will just say that daring greatly is a great book on just daring greatly daring greatly by Brene brown and then um Christine Kane's book, Unashamed, mm-hmm. uh, follows up a lot of the work that Brene did. And Christine Kane does a lot of um, connecting that to biblical yeah. um, principles mm-hmm. and scripture. And those two books um, have been just eye opening mm-hmm. in terms of, oh, I'm going to think about that differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, Paradigm shifting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. That's great. I'm glad I have the both of you. Thank you, Heather. I come to you all the time and talk about this stuff. I got my two people. (laughs) All right. Y'all have a great day. Thank you, You too. too. Bye. Well, if that conversation resonated with anything you are hearing or thinking or struggling through, um, my hope is you'll tell someone, um, whether that's a spouse, whether that's a friend, that you'll gather around a kitchen table with your people, um, that you'll be confident enough to ask for that phone number or to Google search a counseling center near you, community counseling, that you will find a way to allow God to partner the Holy Spirit with you and allowing him to get that love message in and heal all those wounds either from your past or messaging that has been repeated 
and repeated and repeated that it was not from him and that he never intended for you to dwell on, that he could go in and he could allow you to experience more freedom, more wholeness, more connection with the truth of who he says you are, the truth of who you are to him so that you can love and be loved. Thanks, y'all. Um, again, thank you for all those who are signing up for GCM Podcast Clubs. If you want to know what that's about, go to godcentermom.com backslash podcast club, and you can find out the details there. I provide the curriculum. You provide everything else. <laughs> Pretty much I leave all the work up to you. I'm just allowing you to have an excuse to get together with people because we do not want you to mom alone. We don't want you to struggle alone. I don't like the idea of moms being out there having these thoughts, feeling like they need to be perfect and have it all together and um, going through depression and no one knowing. So I want you to be together. And if we can use the podcast and is it as an excuse for that, then praise the Lord. Uh, just go there. You can get the curriculum and then you meet when you want, where you want, with who you, whom you want. And, uh, And we even have a Facebook page if you're leading a group and you need some support and ideas on how to how to facilitate that, how to some of these groups are um, bringing kids to the group, which I think if I led a group, I might say, kids, stay home. But I know that that's not always possible. So uh, they're. Everyone is exchanging ideas on how do you have kids in your home and how do you handle uh, when they break things and um, what do you serve food or do you not serve food? I say keep it as simple as possible. The goal is to be together and the goal is to be honest and to find find people that can be your safe places. All right. Y'all are amazing. Thanks for finding me on Instagram. Thanks for celebrating with me this week when I announced um, that God has orchestrated a trip for me to go to Israel. It's something I said yes to back in October before all of my world kind of uh, a lot of things hard happened this um, past November, December. But he is he is a God who is doing stuff we don't even see. And behind the scenes, um, he has orchestrated for me to get to go to Israel uh, for my 40th birthday that coincided exactly with my birthday. So come join me. I think my hashtag I'm going to use, because you always got to have a hashtag, is Holy40. I think that's what I'm going to use. Uh, who knows what's already there, but I should probably check that out before I commit to Holy40. But I'd love to bring you with me to God's holy land and where Jesus walked. It just, just blows my mind. Um, I'm thankful for y'all. I'm thankful that you are walking this journey with me and that I'm not alone because I have you and that you are allowing me to have these conversations and learn. Okay, I've rambled long enough. It's almost an hour here. Here we go. All right. Y'all have a great week. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to godcenteredmom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.